Hello and welcome to the Current State of Music podcast. I'm your host, my name's Chris. I also go by the name of Six Foot Stereo when I'm DJing. And I also go by the name of Hollows when I'm producing music. But for this, I'm just Chris. Meeting some of the people I've followed or admired or bought the music of or have become friends with over the years, talking about where music has, where music is right now. For them, and then like their story, how they got here. And the hope is that their story maybe inspires you or certainly you can relate to it. Maybe of special interest to those who want to get into music or have admired some of these guys and girls and think that they would like to do something similar. Hear how they've managed to create their own path within a tricky industry at best. And to hear what they think about where it is right now and what the opportunities are and what the pros and cons are. So that's the sort of the motivating factor behind me making this this podcast. If you're new to the podcast, then don't forget to go back and check out season one and all the previous episodes in season two. Don't be sad. I've met some of my favourite people through doing this, and uh, yeah, I'm really pleased to share that with you. Oh, it's going to be a lovely and if you do like what you are hearing, then don't forget to give me a nice review on You're iTunes. That all helps. And if you've got anyone you think I should speak to, please do get in touch. You can get me at Six Foot Stereo across all the socials. And whilst I'm on the subject, if you want to make a podcast or you make a podcast but you don't quite know how to uh, sort of put it together, you can get in touch with me at my studio. Goldtone.co.uk, and I can help you with that. But back to this episode. The person I've interviewed this week is an old friend of mine. I met him through his DJ Nick Maxwell, who I do a lot of DJing with, and basically in a car going to Glastonbury at five o'clock in the morning. And it was one of those situations where it's like, okay, what do you do for a living? And he's like, yeah, I do this kind of hip-hop, steampunk thing. He's like, okay, and what do you do for a job? And he's like, no, that is my job. And I was quite blown away by that, the fact that someone manages to carve a path and earn a living and support a family doing absolutely crazy stuff like this. And then obviously over that weekend, we got into various states together, hung out together and had a lot of fun and ever since then we've sort of made the point of like hooking up every so often and talking rubbish, obviously Glastonbury is always a big highlight, I'm always pleased when he's there because I know that I'm going to enjoy myself and uh, it was certainly the case at Glastonbury this year, he was there with his wife and kids and it was really nice hanging out with them too so yeah it was kind of long overdue this one and uh, I'm really pleased to have finally managed to lock him down and get him in the studio and get a chat to him about all this stuff so without further ado i'll give you professor elemental hello hello 
paid I'm good. I'm, I zoned out for a minute there, but I'm back now. Hi, yeah. how are you? Can you introduce yourself, please? Yes. Um, my name is Paul Olbra, and I perform under the name Professor Elemental. Well, it's great to have you here today. It's beautiful to be here. It's sunny, it's nice, the bees are buzzing, sunshine in. What could be nicer? All is right with the world. Not, clearly not all is right with the world. All is right in the garden and in the In this studio. corner of the world, everything's fine, and that's all that counts. Okay, so can you tell me, if you had to give a job description, can you give me a job description of what it is your job is? Uh, So I'm a full-time hip-hop MC um, with a sprinkling of comedy, and I perform rap music predominantly for nerds um, as a Victorian mad professor and within that there's a lot of crossover with lots of different subcultures but I do a lot of stuff with the steampunk community which makes me very happy Um, but I perform all over the place Um, but in terms of a job description like most musicians it's predominantly admin based most of it's just (laughs) sat answering people's emails which is not what I signed up for no I bet well look we'll get we'll get into that in a bit but um sort of firstly let's go back in time and um talk about sort of musical influences when you were young like when was when did music first kind of hit you become a memory it was forced upon me by my dad who when I was about eight sat me down with a pair of big headphones because I was going I'm bored he's like sit down put these on and he put on Isaac Hayes's Hot Buttered Soul and that like um, that really long song by the time I get to Phoenix he said listen to this don't take them off listen to the whole thing it's a story and I was mesmerised by it. absolutely just I'd never heard a song that was that long or that like this big com- not complicated story but a big emotional story and then the rest of the album sort of followed and he had great he still has great taste in music so he set me on the right path and then hip hop sort of turned up when I was in America we got we had relatives in America and I was left on my own in a in an uncle's house and he was a bit of a dodgy geezer and he went out to do something dodgy and I was only about 12 and I was just left with his tape player and loads of hip hop tapes so it was, it was sort of like the era of um, that self-destruction song and loads of you know it's like 1990 or something yeah. maybe when hip-hop was just about to sort of change into becoming more mainstream so it was a great you know being in your mid-40s is a great time to be a b-boy because we got into it just as it hit from the underground to the mainstream and it yeah. sort of exploded so that was it really and then yeah and then no one really liked the same music as me for all of my childhood, teenage years and early adulthood, none of my friends have ever liked the same music as me until Where did I finally you grow got there. Up? I got in, in a little uh, village in Suffolk called Palgrave. Um, and yeah, completely like isolated in terms of the, my love of nerdy stuff and hip hop. Yeah. There was no there was nobody else to hang out with who liked the same stuff. But that was really good. I think that is the reason is I ended that up doing what made it so special well. is because you Definitely. had something that nobody else had. Yeah, exactly. But for on the one hand you're like oh I wish I you know, had someone to share some of this enthusiasm with but it definitely allowed me to have the sort of freedom that I do now of making music that no one likes yeah. and not caring about it <laughs> <laughs> enjoying the process of making making unusual music <laughs> and so 
So just going back to school, you were listening to music that no one else was really listening to and were you sort of becoming musically aware? Did you do any musical lessons or take part in any kind of school learning experiences? No, it was, it was appalling. It was just like sort of, you know, playing, playing. It wasn't for the work of the weavers on recorder. That was about it. But I did, I was really into comedy as well and I, my, one of my biggest memories of school was putting on a comedy show for Red Nose Day right. and getting there and this really cool band had just jumped the stage we were playing and everyone was loving it yeah. and I was like sir, sir we have to do I was going to do my comedy show sir you've got to get rid of them and it's like Paul everybody's really enjoying this and I was like you've got to get rid of them sir you told me I could do my comedy show so we got the band off and they went and played in the music room and everyone followed them because they were all the cool <laughs> kids and then I did this appalling comedy show for like two teachers who looked at me stony faced like this horrible little diva and it was awful as well I'd written it all myself um, so my, all my perfor- I had loads of performance memories but they were all me doing something that again no one really enjoyed <laughs> and they were mostly sort of comedy things as well um, but there was, it was you know much supportive as my sort of friends and family always were there was always that feeling like the idea that you could make a living performing or doing comedy or doing music that was ridiculous and same yeah. with, I used to draw a lot and that was you know that wasn't a career that was something you could do if you want, had some spare time and yeah. I do slightly regret that I would have got into it a little bit earlier if I'd even thought it was viable it was only when you got older that I realised you could do anything really yeah well that's that's not a lesson that's widely kind of touted is it or maybe more so now like oh you know live your best life and all this no and I do don't think it want. is actually because I you know I've got lots of friends who are teachers and who work with teenagers and I was chatting to a teacher friend the other day and he said one of the reasons that he thinks he teaches teenagers one of the reasons he thinks that a lot of teenagers are so sort of stressed and there's a big mental health crisis is they've only got one path they've got to do their GCSEs and get a job and all of their schooling is geared towards their GCSEs and all of that is geared towards getting a job and getting some money there's no room for the arts there's no room for to go off a union experiment because it'll cost you a fortune so if you're not destined for that kind of path or you think that's not for you or you're not academically minded then it's incredibly stressful it doesn't feel like there's lots of other options like there was the lowest take up for music and art GCSE in the history of them last year because kids don't they're being told that that's not imp- you know it's not important it's not going to earn you any money so why yeah. would you bother so if anything that message has got even stronger and um, as I find that really depressing yeah when I was um, about 10 years ago I was doing some courses up in London doing music technology courses and they they all got cut back because it was a you know a funded adult education centre and a really really good one and they just they cut that department because it wasn't they sort of like no one's going to get a job yeah. from this <laughs> exactly so it has no worth at all so it has no worth at all but that's craziness isn't it because people who are kind of happy and do some of this stuff even if they do it once a week or once a month or something yeah and they're a bit happier they're probably going to have more successes elsewhere in their so. lives and, like, you know, and even even to look at it from a Tory point of view of that kind of like it hasn't got any financial worth like the entertainment industry whether it's a little bod like me or a huge conglomerate brings in billions to the country it's one of the yeah. things that we do really really well so it's, it's short sighted on every conceivable level and yeah the, the sort of cuts to everything I think have, will have a will have an impact down the line culturally on us we'll become, we're culturally poorer because generations I, I did a gig at a pub the other day and the guy said to me, oh, it's lovely that you 
played with a big packed house. He said, I've struggled recently because there are no young bands coming up. People, kids right. aren't starting bands because right. they're, you know, they're not getting music education at school or they're not encouraged or it doesn't seem worthwhile. And that's a tragic idea that there are amazing musicians out there that probably aren't even bothering to start it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll come back to that in a bit when we deal with the hmm. title of the podcast. So when you sort of then left school and had the opportunity to maybe find people that were into what you were into or like where did you move to where did you go like how did that sort of manifest itself at choices? university there was a bit of love for hip hop because again it was, it was 1993 to 1995 so it was in its prime yeah. so there were there were people who really loved their rap music but they were quite cool kids and I was so so not cool I was still they were there but I wasn't in their social group I was in with all of the kind of weirdos really I should have been a metalhead like all of my yeah. sort of politics and humour and a lot of stuff they always whenever I'm hanging out with people who are really into heavy metal yeah. they tend to be my kind of people but somehow I've taken a bit of an unusual path so it wasn't really until like sort of post uni and in my early 20s I started rapping and really just awfully was like even when I first got to Brighton it was still with a slight American twang yeah. so a lot of the other rappers I saw, whether whether some subliminally I was kind of consciously <laughs> separating myself I sort of wanted their approval but simultaneously quite liked that they didn't really like me very much it was a really yeah. un- <laughs> Not a very healthy relationship. But yeah, you know, even when I was an alright rapper and I started doing okay, I still had a weird American twang in my voice, which understandably yeah. most people thought was shit because it was shit. So it wasn't it wasn't until I sort of clambered <laughs> out of that, like about I don't know, fifteen years ago, I finally was like, okay, right, this is I know what I'm supposed to be doing now. It was a long it was a long, lonely learning process. And it was only thank God I met people like Nick Maxwell and Tom Caruana. And my mate Lex, who I used to rap with, that you know, once you, you no one can do it all on their own, and you do yeah. kind of it was getting a few nurturing voices and a few friends to go right, Paul, stop, stop saying that word in that way, <laughs> start talking a bit like you talk normally, and it came okay. So then, so. Where did you go at university? Uh, so it was in Hull. Um, it wasn't the proper university in Hull because Hull's quite good, but Humberside doesn't right. even exist anymore. That's how shit it was. It was re- it was an absolute like. Well, I suppose you could go there, and what it was did great. You study? It was I was like communication processes. It was not. It was studying nothing really, but sort of smoking heavily. Um, but it was perfect. It was a great, you know. It, even though I didn't make, I didn't achieve lots of things in union. You know, there were things I wish I'd done more of. It was the, the learning process of becoming creative and having the time and space like most creativity comes from the art of being bored and doing nothing and being yeah. idle yeah, and that's yeah. when you get ideas and plans and ex- you know exciting concepts for things so it taught me all it, it taught me the value of idleness I think I was going to say laziness but idleness I think is no they're two very separate yeah things, exactly um, and I, I enjoyed sort of just sloshing around directionless for a while but then having also getting into music quite late actually the idea that I could make music and make it viable only really in like my sort of early 30s was sort of really good because I'd done like 15 years of jobs I hated I've been fired from every conceivable job what sort of thing had you done just uh, like 4,000 call centres I'd been fired from at that point just every single thing I've been an ice cream seller I've been a toy demonstrator I dressed up as a cat on a cross channel ferry and I'd been fired from everything I'm utterly unemployable I was a teacher for a little while and that was okay and I was just about to get fired from that and thank God the, you know the professor elemental stuff took off enough that I could yeah. make the job 
jump into my own little lifeboat and I can't fire myself, so I'm all right here. It's fine. I'm stuck with me. Just keep patching the holes on that lifeboat. <laughs> exactly. Just keep, keep putting as much um, yeah, as I can to keep that just, just about afloat. But how did, that, how did that sort of start to begin then? Like, you ended up in Brighton. Yeah, so there's a, an amazing hip-hop community in Brighton as well. And the, in amongst the people that um, I sort of purposefully sort of struggled with just because I found it all a bit alpha and a bit male, uh, there was also this little subsection of people like Disraeli and John Clark um, and Dr Syntax and um, and people like Heinze who were really encouraging and kind of bring people in. Um, and those people were doing so much weird and wonderful stuff and just bizarre conceptual things. And Tej as well was amazing always amazing um that that was really lovely and i think in terms of becoming a decent rapper john clark who is the best rapper that no one's ever heard of outside brighton just he taught me how to freestyle he kind of gave me the confidence of doing my own thing and you you know most people i think need that at some point some dude who's just gonna write i'm gonna sit you down and and bring you up to speed um so I got quite comfortable in my little corner of being the sort of slightly odd rapper. But did you know about this sort of subsection of people before you came here or when you were here and you no, sort of when stumbled I was here, upon definitely. them or, or did you know about them? And No, it was a stumbling upon them thing. I did a few sort of open mics at Slip Jam B, which was the hip-hop night. And in amongst all the sort of people just paddling and freestyling, you'd just have the odd oddball that would pop up and just talk about really weird stuff. Things yeah. that just didn't make any sense at all. Like, oh, they're amazing! <laughs> Um, and and the professor thing sort of bounced out of that just as it was kind of reaching its natural end because you know you get to your mid-30s and if you've got any sense then you usually stop rapping because you start looking increasingly ridiculous Yeah. particularly if you're sort of white and middle class it's kind of all the odds are stacked against you to not to look like just a rapping dad Um, and then a friend of mine was putting on this little variety show of Victorian sort of weird acts and I I sort of borrowed slash stole this suit from my housemate sort of safari suit and a pith helmet and just did you know a couple of songs in this stupid posh voice and then everything changed forever (laughs) and I'm so happy it did (laughs) so but in what mind you thought this is something that works or was the is it like the crowd reaction was something you thought hang on a minute there's there's something to this yeah a bit of both actually it was it, it was putting i've said it a lot of times to people but it, is, it was putting all the things that i was most nervous of and ashamed of in terms of being quite sort of middle class sounding and a bit white and all that kind of stuff it suddenly was exaggerating all the things i was most scared of yeah. and wanted to hide away and and, ex- and exaggerating to the point of to the point of comedy and i was like oh this is perfect it's, you know you know i can sort of use my weaknesses as some kind of shield and actually having the character as well helped kind of make me feel a little bit more confident i wasn't trying to be like a battle rap or anything yeah and, and getting laughs as well was a, was as much a nice thing because you know all the, the comedy that i've loved over the years doing bits of comedy in between i love that as much as doing the music when i'm on stage yeah so yeah just doing doing it as a little one-off as I, as is so often the way i think with weird novelty people like myself you just do it as a quick oh this will be fun and then it just takes over your whole life and then it just expanded and thank god for having like tom caruana who um who i made that first weird professor song with because he's just up for he's up for unusual ideas as a producer and so he yeah. was like okay well let's let's make some more of these weird songs and it just went from there yeah because i mean he's 
He's obviously played a big part. Hmm. And he seems to be extremely prolific. Ridiculous. He's ridiculous. He just sits in his little hobbit house up north in the woods and just... If I ever say, oh, I could do with some more beats, he just sends me a folder of like 50 songs I've never heard before, any one of which in the right hands can just become a really beautiful piece of music. So, um, yeah, I I would be nothing if not for him. There's no way I would have carried on or found a way to do it because, you know, nearly all my albums have been produced by him and all of the concepts were sort of worked on together and we yeah. sit and fiddle around with all the little skits together and stuff. So, yeah, I, I, I often feel like I can't, I don't and can't give him quite enough credit because <laughs> the professor's such a big <laughs> egomaniac and it's quite hard to just, I feel like I should mention him every single time I do anything because yeah, it's yeah. all down to him. I sort of want to talk a bit more about that process of working with a producer there will probably be kind of hopefully young people listening who like to spit a few bars or or maybe make some beats and how how did you meet tom and how how did that relationship kind of form uh, he fell over me in glastonbury when we were both quite young he just fell over and he fell into a fire and <laughs> I saved him from going into a fire because he was lost um, and we were sat around and I'd sort of just started rapping and he did a bit of beatbox and it was all quite tentative and he said he made beats and he was he was really young you know, um, and he sent me some of his beats and they were already better than anything else anybody else had ever sent me because it was you know it was still the tail end of the days the tail end of the days where you'd sit with your hip hop connection magazine and instead of the internet you'd see the pen pal section in the back and you'd write little letters right. like they'd be little like little lonely hearts this is going to be hard for any young person to imagine but just a page of people going rapper would like to meet some producers please write to Paul Oldborough in Brighton Sussex like that's how people this is, people got in touch via letter it was yeah. quite Victorian in its own way so yeah thank goodness it was just coming out of that archaic era where we could actually <laughs> text each other and phone and stuff and I've been doing bits and pieces in London um, with a rapper called Manage who is still going and still going strong and he's a proper rapper like you know he does good political really prolific yeah. he's great um, so I'd, I'd sort of done a little bit of practice at you know, being on stage properly and stuff but Tom was very much my kind of person and you know you also I think it's important for anybody who's sort of seeking people out almost as in, uh, the most important thing is to find people you want to hang out with I only ever make music with people that I want to be friends with in the first yeah. place that gen- generally share the same thing because you've got to spend a lot of time with them and it might be that your music's not successful or you never make any money out of it you might as well make sure that it's, an in- it's a really enjoyable process so regardless of what it ends up sounding like you've had a really good time making it yeah. so I think that's key and he's such a good friend as well um, and he, he, we would have met anyway because the connections he had with people like Syntax and yeah. Nick Maxwell and stuff. That little, it was it's a very small world, Brighton hip hop, and we would have connected eventually. Yeah, I mean, Brighton seems like it's quite a small world anyway. Well, exactly. No matter what you're into, it's a tiny yeah. little microcosm, isn't it? And then, how have sort of things changed? over time since those sort of heady days of finding something new and then your sort of career developing into where it is now can you sort of describe that sort of arc a little bit yeah so when it it went it had a meteoric kind of for me meteoric anyway when I had a bit of success with a video for a song called Cup of Brown Joy which was like a little cup of tea novelty song and for some reason it ended up on the front page of YouTube for just one day and that was enough for 
it to kind of go viral and I got the headlines and papers and stuff. Um, and that was the thing that enabled me to kind of start getting gigs in America, which made me give up my day job and all that kind of stuff. And being a bit older, it's been that combination of just relishing the lifestyle, but also knowing how horrible it is to go to a day job every day. So yeah. the terror of having to go back to that keeps me really motivated. I'm really big on the business side of it as well yeah. and keeping that on top. And so now it's just, it's, it's for the last few years, it's just been this beautiful mix of loads of admin, making nice music with friends and getting money from doing shows and increasingly shows for my kind of people as well. I've managed to sort of find my way back to my tribe of weirdos because loads of the songs I write are about the value of being weird and being individual. And so all the weird individuals end up coming to my shows. So there's lots of sort of goths and steampunks and comic nerds and all of those kind of people that I always wanted to hang out with but never really found that tribe until now so it's, yeah. it's perfect really it's, yeah I feel very very lucky um, and I don't see it necessarily like taking off or going mainstream or getting wildly more popular at this point which is brilliant I heard this was probably probably three or four years ago I heard you on six music on a track I don't think it was that was with Crespo your, probably yeah yeah do you ever think oh man I just want this record just like a single just to go <laughs> yeah. big and kind of ride that way for a it would while. be nice a bit Some, there are definitely times where I think it would be nice you know like the last album I did School of Whims it was lovely and did just as my sort of the, there's a level they always get to which makes me just enough money to make it all work it was lovely but I was really proud of it and there was a little part of me that was like I don't want mainstream success but I wouldn't I, you know it would be lovely if I don't know a record label said oh we'd love to put that out for you we'd yeah. love to give you a bit of a hand because <clears throat> there is the only thing I ever get a bit frustrated with is just having to do everything by yourself all the time yeah. one day you're the accounts department then you're the publicity side of things then you're sort of archiving things just every aspect of it it has to be done by me without any kind of um, sort of support on that side of things obviously there are other artists supporting you and I've got a booking agent that helps me a bit but mostly it still has to come from yourself um, so that's the only thing that I wish I'd, I'd, I'd love a small label you know to pick something up and just get that out there but beyond that not desperately because it doesn't feel like it's doesn't feel like it's necessary and I always I used to, went through a phase of reading loads of biographies of different people I admired and all of the famous people Stephen Fry being an obvious example they always had this bit when they were talking about going from unknown to famous that was in the middle where they say oh and I, I wasn't properly famous yet but I had enough work coming in doing voiceovers for adverts and every day I'd go and have a coffee with my mate and we'd do these voiceovers and I had just enough money coming in and it was the happiest time of my life they all said it and I was yeah. like well why don't I just stop there then because <laughs> fame sounds horrible so like yeah. that, that's when it all un people unravel and they get frustrated and there's all this kind of pressure to maintain things maybe just maybe it's, you don't have to keep striving to keep you know climbing to the top maybe you can just get to a little ledge and go well this is nice the view from here is perfect yeah. <laughs> we'll just stop here and have a picnic yeah 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 <laughs> I'm sure you could make some sort of meme for folks out of that <laughs> yeah. I think Actually, that's I might not a bad song idea as well <laughs> um, but how do you balance how do you balance with where you are now with obviously I was with you at Glastonbury and you had your family there and not really wanting I don't want to drag your family into it but how do you how <laughs> don't do, drag my don't family drag, into this don't drag them anywhere <laughs> but how do you balance you know sort of gigging I mean that takes you away at weekends 
I'm assuming. And doing all this thing and staying motivated and having, you know, sort of family pressure as well. That's, that is definitely tricky and it does feel really unfair as well because you're constantly going and having these, you know, I've been to America three times this year, which is great and great on social media, but there's my partner with our two children who's just at home for those weeks. Yeah. <clears throat> and getting that balance is something that is a constant process. But I think that's true of a lot of people with their own business. You know, there's different pressures. Or if you're on a low income, or even if you're on a high income and you have to maintain it by going to work all the time, I think there is, you know, that's just the pressure of family. And the, and the truth of it is, you know, self, the selfish part of it is on the one hand to try and keep that balance. But I was thinking the other day, I'm also quite addicted to doing gigs. It doesn't take many weeks of me being off them. I, you know, it's the thing that brings the money, but I do get quite sort of like, oh, actually, I've got to get back out there. I need that affirmation. I need someone to like yeah, me again. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and it's, you know, it's both really healthy and unhealthy to constantly go out in front of groups of strangers and have them say, oh, well done, you're, you're not bad. Like, as a middle-aged man, there's no other place in life where that happens to you. No one's cheering no. you on normally, no, so it's really no, lovely. you sort of run out of cheers. <laughs> exactly, it's just like, crack on, get on with it. You're a, you're a, you're a grown-up, don't pay the mortgage. So it's, it's really lovely, but it's also a bit unhealthy and is a little bit dangerous as well for just not becoming a twat. And how does, because obviously, I mean, I, I certainly found this with DJing, you know, like basically a gig also meant a party. Exactly. And how has has sort of longevity and been doing it for a while and then other sort of family pressures, has that changed that aspect? It becomes more of I'm going to do a gig and then I'm driving home again or, you know, like... I'm working on that. I'm really trying to work on it. <laughs> I'm trying to make better decisions when it comes to doing gigs, but I, you know, that's it's, it's really it's a lovely part of it, meeting people and stuff. Not yeah. like, you know, it's, it, and it is a, it's a lot of late nights, and you're kind of excited and full of ego when you come off stage. So you want to hang out with people, yeah. but it is. I mean, you know, there are countless stories, more stories than not, of, of performers, particularly live performers and comedians and musicians who do a lot of stuff live. I saw that amazing documentary, Being Frank. Have you seen that about Frank Sidebottom? Oh no, I haven't seen that. It was like a it was like watching a public information warning film for my own life, like this right. novelty performer who made his living out of doing the live shows but just ended up in a sort of sort of spiral of drink and drugs and dissatisfaction and all that kind of stuff yeah. um, and eventually, you know, it did him in and it happens to an awful lot of people. So I think, yeah, keeping a bit of a balance and just hoping that, you know, you can start making some better choices as you get older. <laughs> Parts of you start to fail. <laughs> It's an inexact science, though. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who's, who's, is there any? Is there any? Is there anyone you can look up to that's kind of done it well, Mr. done it right? Mr. B actually, he does a really good job of it because he's been doing music for. I was interested. I didn't know this until we had a really long car journey the other day. But he's been doing music forever, hasn't he? But yeah. he's never he's never had a proper job. We've taken a really different path. What we're doing. He's done loads of different stuff as well. And I think with that his sort of longevity has meant that he is able to create a little bit more professional distance just a little bit enough that he can sell his merchandise pack up his stuff and leave and yeah. no one thinks ill of him for that that's what a professional musician does yeah. but you know for whatever reason I'm slightly more needy I think my performance style is a bit more like me someone please like me so when it's all done I've packed up my merch and someone says oh do you want to drink like oh you want to talk to me some more don't mind if you do <laughs> so it's really, so I need to be more like Jim basically and I hate saying that I like 
live on air. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's he's he's my sort of role model in music. <gasps> oh my <laughs> god! Imagine the controversy. What a shocker! <laughs> well, funnily enough, and if you've listened to this series, I don't know which order they're going out in, but we've also done Mr. B the Gentleman Miner, and we have we did talk about you <laughs> because it seemed. It seemed more than a coincidence that two people, and I'm not saying what you do is the same. No, but it's pretty similar. <laughs> it's a similar... The concept is similar. Mm. And you came out of the same town with a similar concept around the same time and you didn't know of each other. I bet he secretly did all along. <laughs> One day he's going to tell... When we're really old, he'll be like, I was biting you all along. <laughs> Last laugh's on me. <laughs> But is there is there anything that can be explained about that? No, not so much. I think it's. I think maybe maybe it's a bit of sort of the zeitgeist of sort of vintage stuff becoming yeah. popular. Maybe there's something like that. With me, it was sort of the and the steampunk thing helped me more than him. But it was definitely part of what sort of brought his stuff on. I think there's always been weird novelty acts of one sort or another. God, I've played with so many of them yeah. and admired so many of them. And I listened to a lot of old weird music. And there's you know endless weird novelty records and people who were really well known in the 40s and then vanished without a trace. Um, and before the professor got big, he was part of this Victorian parlour show. And we did that for like five or six years, in just in Lewis and Brighton. And it never caught on. Like We had enough people come. But it, was really, it was a really big, elaborate show, but it, we were doing it slightly out of step with what was popular at the time. So there's yeah. a certain amount of it. Just I just happened to do something that could be called steampunk, just as that took off. Without steampunk as well, I don't think I would be able to do it. But I think it would genuinely think it was a bit of a coincidence. And the fact that we both had sort of music videos that got uh, you know sort of viral at the same time as well that sort yeah. of didn't didn't hurt matters for bringing us both up but I've been, I've, I just find it hilarious that we've both been doing it for like 11 years and it hasn't caught on like this little genre we've created yeah. in no way has <laughs> caught on there's no there's like a couple of americans did a bit and then gave up on it no one else no young people have taken it up no people our age no other rappers no other steampunks no one and <laughs> just, I was like, that's brilliant <laughs> it could be that you're doing it so well that's that no it. one's no one can even they, no one can tilt their necks that far to look up I know well I sort of want them because like I'm a rapper I would love to have some new people to like battle and diss and muck about with but yeah no one wants to come and play in our weird playground so how is it when you put out that beef like the the sort of comedy beef you have with Mr B I felt really bad about it almost immediately it was really funny like all internet arguments actually it was like a foreshadowing of every beef that's ever been on Twitter because it's all fun and games when you don't know who they are but as soon as you meet them in person you feel awful because you go oh my god you, you know you're, you're just a really nice person. And, that, and I'm sure that's be the same with 99% of the people that we all hate on Twitter, even the, even the people whose political opinions that seem disgusting to us. We were sat down in a room with them having a cup of tea. We'd be like, oh, but apart from that, you seem quite nice. Because <laughs> people are generally quite nice. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I've told the tale a lot, but he, um, I phoned him up, I think, or he phoned me up, and, he, and then we met, met for a drink, and he just said that he'd had this really awful day when you know there he is this lovely man really everybody who's ever done a show with him knows how lovely he is um and then on one day this stranger 
launched a video that, like, with a savage attack, with loads of people commenting, "Yeah, get the fuck away! Oh, I don't like him after all." And then also his old band, I think, dissed him with a, either a song or really? a video on the same day no for sort of not liking the fact that he'd gone off and started doing his own thing. And him and his wife were just like, "What have, we, what have I done? I'm just trying to make some nice music whilst everyone being so horrible." Um, and so yeah, I tried. I tried to squash it as quickly as I could by then doing a really nice song with him, a sort of compliment battle, which I hoped would sort of sort of finish that off. But people love conflict and they love beef, and particularly the internet loves it. And to this day, and probably for the rest of our careers, I've tarnished him by anybody who says they're going to put the two of us on a bill. And oh, will you have a battle? Will you have a battle? You must have a battle. And we're like, no, we sort of sorted it out ten years ago. We're really good friends. It's well documented that we are two good colleagues. Have a battle. Go on. Why don't you have a battle? Um, and so yeah, so I've cursed him with that forever. But having seen you both, like seen you, I think I've seen you on stage with him, and then him on stage with you it does add a certain kind of something happens do you know what I mean like it's, yeah. there's a certain sort of electricity that kind of barks well that's why we try not to do it too often <clears throat> I'm sure there'll come a time when we're in our sort of late 50s where no one will have us and we're desperately trying to team up and go it's the chap hop reunion everyone but until that time we try and keep it quite quite occasional we do have the occasional like you know a tame pretend version of a battle where he storms on stage during fighting trousers um, in terms of actual rap battling it's best left to people who are really good at that sort of thing like I can I will battle an MC if they come for me yeah. but it's not my favourite thing to do not very, I'm not very good with conflict don't start fights don't start fights <laughs> I tend, best not to when people do like when I have had battles and people do like a really fiery verse all aimed at me I find myself just thinking that was really good I mean well done because you <laughs> nailed me there and I'm like, oh no that's not how it's supposed to work at all <laughs> but when I was talking to him he said you know he certainly kept an eye on what you put out and you know and he's like oh man those beats are good I'm have to make some try and make some better beats do you think that there's like that friendly rivalry oh, definitely has both elevated sort of your games oh totally and I think it's, it's really, that's been really healthy actually because I am constantly keeping one eye on his kind of like gig list and then you know if a video comes out and it's got loads of views and you know there is, there's always a little like oh been to America have you oh that, 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 that song you just did did like 20 20,000 views and that's I think that's really good and we do meet up from time to time because there are certain things that even out of other musician friends only he and I go through certain kinds of fans or gig experiences that no one else I know has exactly the same sort of thing so yeah I think it's I think it's healthy to have at least one other person doing it otherwise I think it could be quite weird and lonely absolutely Um, so we've done sort of family pressure so so now is is gigging kind of the main source of income and is making the music just as a means to doing gigs basically For, from a financial point of view that's definitely true like you know if I stop gigging then we have not got enough money to pay them quite quickly that said it's not all about you know the financial part so they all feed into each other and you know you don't you don't become an independent steampunk musician for the cash generally so um, so making the music is still you know the beautifully satisfying part and the collaborations I'm really into collaborating with just like the next album coming out it's just got like a song with a Norwegian pop band and a folk band and some other rappers and just like that's the I love doing that that's sort of mashing it all up together but from a businessy point of view it's all about 
getting all the gigs and keeping the gigs really varied as well I think that's yeah. healthy if I just do steampunk shows not only will all the steampunk get, steampunks get bored of me but what if god forbid steampunk becomes so niche that there's not enough shows to sustain it as well you have to be a little bit so you have to cast the net quite wide I think so lots of festivals some weddings the odd fetish night parties and raves and steampunk things just keeping it as widely varied as possible yeah I mean I was going to talk to you about the show at Glastonbury but you just mentioned fetish nights and, and now I want to know more about I want to know more about those gigs they're great I don't do I, I went through a phase where I felt like I was doing loads of them and I've no idea how I sort of fell into that world because you know I've, I've got I suppose it's the sort of nerdy aspect of it it's the subculture which crosses over with a lot of like other subcultures like metal and steampunk and all that kind of stuff um, and also it's filled with the whole sort of fetish world is filled with just the nicest people you never you very rarely meet any idiots you meet a lot of weird people but they're all lovely um, and weirdly I think the fact that the professor is on the surface a little bit sort of prim and proper and writing you know doing songs about Britishness and cups of tea putting him in that environment really makes it work like if you've got something outrageous happening in a place that's already outrageous that's kind of fine but put something that doesn't belong there in that outrageous environment it makes it really funny and, uh, and doing things like getting everybody in a fetish night to you know, pretend to be on an imaginary horse and do a conga it was the best looking conga line I've ever seen it's full of most beautiful freaky people in the most outrageous costumes or no costumes at all and it was just yeah times like that are just a, that's the time I feel like I'm really celebrating that individuality because it's people who are just like right I'm going to do what I want to do for yeah. a bit <laughs> having never been to a fetish night but I was up in um, <clears throat> Royal no is it Royal Oak mm. up in London going to the Lido the other weekend and there must have been a club nearby because <laughs> there was like I saw four people all coming on they had big long coats on but mm. their coats were open because it was a warm and sunny day mm. and they were clearly wearing like some fancy outfits mm. And it's like, I bet you looked amazing last night in the cold light of day, <laughs> exactly. walking along at 10 o'clock in the morning and we're off to the Lido <laughs> with the kids on scooters. It's kind of like, you, yeah. don't, this, you don't fit into this scene. <laughs> That's definitely But I true. bet you look brilliant in the scene you <laughs> in the right in context, night. you look amazing. That's the same with most, you know, most cosplayers and steampunks as well. Put them in, you know, stick them in the wrong place and it looks either hilarious or just desperately wrong. But in the right place, you can, you know... And also, it's a chance to be... You know, if you're shy, it's a chance to be really confident. And if you're, um, if you're kind of put upon, you can, you know, it's a ch- chance to be who you really feel like you are inside. And that's not just the fetish world, but um, but also cosplaying and science fiction, and even things like furries, people who dress up in sort of animal costumes. Yeah. I love the idea that you can swap your identity around a bit and mess around with it. Um, and that's one of the nice, the nicest thing about doing sort of steampunk and all these quirky gigs is there is no hierarchy. You're just part of the whole thing and again that's quite that's going back to that dangerous thing about staying around after the gig I feel like yeah. I'm part of that we become event. just part of I'm the just crowd part of the event and yeah. so afterwards I'm just part of the crowd I want to, it's the sort of place I want to be hanging out yeah. anyway with the sort of people I want to hang out with so yeah. it's it's brilliant but potentially personally dangerous but yeah, go to a fetish night. It's worth. It's brilliant. It's less daunting than you think it's going to be. Apparently, it's one on North. No, not uh, Norfolk Square, is it? The one of where the Pelly Rocco is. Oh yeah, there apparently is. there's a fetish club there somewhere. Yeah, it's finding it's finding the finding the right fetish night for you yeah, is very try important. Try a few out. Try a few out. See what see what tickles your fancy, so to speak. I can't. I can't. 
can't. I mean, I sort of can't no imagine one, you. No one, one wants to see me in any less clothes than I'm wearing now. To be honest, <laughs> the wife doesn't, so I can't imagine anyone else does. That's neither here nor there. That's not what it's about. It's about yes. feeling comfortable enough to just go. Well, I don't care. Look at me. I'm fabulous. <laughs> I did have an idea when I was sat at Glastonbury. And uh, listeners, we were at Glastonbury together mm. and hanging out quite a lot. Um, I was sat there, and I, for me, that would be. Imagine being at Glastonbury and just being like, right, for the whole four days or however long you're there, I'm just not going to wear any clothes. <laughs> More people used to do that when I, I was know, first yeah, going. Yeah, well, there was yeah. always there was there was always a few. There was, yeah, there was that. There was one particular guy, wasn't there, that yeah. always did it. And I just thought, imagine having the confidence. Or imagine having the strength to break, because mm. I'm like I, I was wondering whether I would be able to do that because I'm quite a self, I'm of a bit, you know, my confidence isn't that great. And I just thought, imagine being able to do that, and that's it's quite something, isn't it? Yeah, imagine. Well, maybe today you should find out. Head to Brighton Town Centre <laughs> and just do the shopping. I'll see you. Maybe um, don't start with Brighton. Start with like Portslade or Hove, and then just work your way up. Is it a bit looser in Portslade? It's, yeah, man, you can do anything in Portslade. <laughs> anything goes. What happens in Portslade stays in Portslade. That's what they that. say. I've heard that. <laughs> so. Let's get into the title of the podcast, The Current State of Music. Obviously, oh, you, yeah. you do... Yeah, that thing. <laughs> um, you basically put all your stuff out yourself. You do most of the work. How would that have been as possible when you started this career? Mm, or has uh, it changed? Because surely kind of certain processes have made it a lot easier, technology's made it easier, I'm assuming. Oh, yes and no, really. In some ways it was easier to get noticed and to, there are certain things that were a bit more... The worlds were a bit smaller and a bit more direct. I don't know, when I very, very first started, it was just MySpace. Yeah. You're a musician, you just had a little MySpace. And people would go there and it was all it was all tied up in one little thing. But of course, as it blew up and got more popular, Bandcamp and Spotify and a million ways to stream different types of music and your own website and then all of the publicity side from Instagram to Facebook and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that is great. It does allow for a lot of opportunities, but it is also exhausting and it means that everybody that that sort of equality means that there's an awful lot of people all doing yeah. exactly what you're doing, all hustling exactly the way that you're hustling, all trying to get noticed in the way you're trying to get noticed. And there is an interesting I read a good book called Move Fast and Break Things about how art has been devalued, if you think about how books are treated now. You know, books are just in piles all over the place. They're just in old phone boxes and at stations they're not worth anything anymore yeah. because they're just ubiquitous and the same with music it doesn't have you know it's an old argument but it doesn't have the value that it used to because it's just scattered around all over the place and it doesn't have as much longevity so even from when I first started if you put out an album in your own little world ta-da here's my album and it'll sit around for a while but now you, you know you can spend years making something and you might have a week where you can shout about it, but after that, well, everyone's looking at something new now. What else have you got? What's the next thing yeah. you're going to do? And there is that, that can be a little bit disheartening sometimes that you spend so long crafting something that is becoming increasingly disposable. On the other side, it's quite nice because I now have, you know, the, 
10 years before I'd started, for example, there's no way I would have made a career out of this. Yeah. Certainly wouldn't have gone to America. No one would have seen my videos. I wouldn't have toured all... I mean, I've toured all over the world doing stuff. And I wouldn't have been able to connect with that, you know, all these tribes I've been talking about. I wouldn't have known about them and I wouldn't have made friends with all these lovely people and all the creative people as well. Yeah. So it's a double-edged sword, you know. I think it's easy to go, oh, they've devalued music, but it's just... The world just constantly changes, doesn't it? Yeah. And how do you feel like you keep up? It seems like an ever-increasing workload. You know, there'll be something new that you've got to then post to. <laughs> That's true. How do you keep up with all that? I think the way to do it is to just be um, quite strict with yourself and just do it when you're in the mood to do it and never forget how little people give a fuck. Um, it's very, it, particularly in the world of wanting to get likes and noticed all the time, it's very easy to think, oh my God, I haven't posted on my Twitter for four days. No one cares. No one's looking at your Twitter going, oh, wonder what's happened to Professor Elemental. He hasn't posted for a few days. They're too busy posting their own crap. So it's really easy to... Um, forget that you are very unimportant um, in the grand scheme of things and obviously it's, it's key to getting your name out and getting connections with people but if you need to stop for a bit and if you need to close down, if you've got other stuff going on in your life or you want to actually just make some music and not post for a while, nobody cares and that's a hard thing, you have to sort of fight against your instincts and all the yeah. addictiveness of social media to, um, to sort of pull back from that sometimes, I'm still working on that and um to get my throw back on has it really been that long in terms of sort of collaborating with people how has on the actual process of making the music has that changed over time no, actually not for me not in my little world in that I still I'm still largely recording in people's sort of bedroom studios when I go and see Tom it's all up in his house um and I, there's lots of stuff swapped obviously there are musicians that I've never actually met that I've collaborated with although I try and do stuff mostly with people that I hang out with so that part the recording part hasn't changed for me I'm sure it has I'm, for different people I'm sure it's completely different but it's partly on purpose though because I could have set up my own studio and learned how to record vocals and stuff <clears throat> but I spend enough time on my own I really like that to be a collaborative process <laughs> otherwise I'll go mad um, so I, I could be doing Doing probably more music than I do, and yeah. getting even and getting more work than I do, sort of voiceovers and stuff. But I just got no interest in learning any of the technical side of it. I just I seem to switch off. Like I've sat with Tom for years and years, and still don't know the basics of it. My, it's like my brain just goes to static when I try and pick it up. So just don't even try. Just play to my strengths and do shouting and writing and and <laughs> performing. That's the stuff I know how to do, and I'll, I'll carry on doing that. <laughs> and. Uh... And in terms of... What, from, from a production point of view, because you do lots of production stuff, has that side changed for you? Because that's kind of interesting to me. My stay the same. Um, in terms of production, I always... I still... I still feel like it's not proper unless you know it's got to have real synthesizers it's got to have this that and the other and it's and uh, like unless you sort of achieve some of these benchmarks it's not good enough and it will never be good enough do you mean from the point of view of adding instrumentation that is yours that you've yeah yourself, like it's it? not just good enough to sort of get a sample and cut up a drum break and and call that a song yeah, yeah it needs like it needs it needs more but i don't and that's what i struggle with it's like a good bit of music is a good bit of music no matter how it's been made mm. 
but technology is so good now that you can you know you don't need you don't need a sampler you don't need a synthesizer you don't need all this other stuff you can make it in your computer with a cheap microphone you can get a sample from youtube and i know people that are doing it some of the kids i work with are doing that and making great music and who's to argue that and getting a crusty, argue- slightly poor quality sample from YouTube is any any different from getting a dusty, scratched record sample like Tom exactly. Carroll does? Exactly. Doesn't he? So yeah, it's a, it's an interesting. I find I find well the reason that I do this podcast is to get people's opinions on it. So mm-hmm. it's kind of helped me break through those barriers yeah, that you that assume sense. are there or the narrative is that they're there people with big studios will tell you that you need all this stuff but a kid with a laptop will tell you that there's total bullshit you know disclosure you know they'll tell you that's absolute nonsense because they made loads of money and records absolutely true just off their laptop so yeah yeah, there was a a real I remember a few friends of mine used to make quite a bit of money off um, sync music you know and and getting adverts and then it's it's suddenly changed as technology caught up suddenly it wasn't you know people who were signed to labels making sort of submitting their sync music it was loads of loads of kids who were making incredible music exactly as you say and then suddenly you know those people were almost out of a job and then you've got you've got um, on the other side of things I was chatting to Flevins who's just made an incredible new album and he was talking about some sort of plugins that he's got that do so much of the work whether certain certain frequencies of different instruments are clashing it can tell whether they are they're clashing with each other and just quiet things down and shift them around things that you would have had to do by hand and i'm sure it's exactly as you're saying there's some things you feel like you should be doing by hand but if it you know if it genuinely can make the music sound better and it's and it's easier where's that sort of harm in it i suppose yeah i think yeah i think there's I think things are changing, but certain people will tell you that these things are still necessary, like, you know, you need a mixing desk, da-da-da, whatever. But I don't necessarily need... I think it's still all about the idea. It is. I completely agree with you. You, you, can, you can make a phenomenal music like that on a really grand scale, but you can totally, you know, how many amazing hip-hop songs are made with just the most basic of equipment, the most basic of loops sometimes. Some of the old premiere things that, you know, old heads like us hold in high esteem, they could not be more basic. Yeah. Like, yeah, on that Take It Personal album, the Gangstar, the Primo's beats on there, they're just, it's just a loop. <laughs> just a loop with a, with a drum. And actually a lot of hip-hop has gone so far in that direction I sort of want it to, I'm a bit bored of it now but there's so many particularly American hip hop songs where they've just got a bit of old Russian jazz and just like yeah. looped up a violin and had someone shouted about stuff they own and a gun they bought once but there's no drums to it and there's actually there's, I could do with a bit more layers of production coming yeah. back now because it's it got so stripped down that it's, it's some of the times there's not even any music some of the Alchemist beats they're just like a fucking xylophone for three minutes <laughs> it's really annoying <laughs> And but that's actually got me back onto the thread. Like, where's sort of music at for you? Like, are you are you listening to much music? Do you listen to much music? Do you sort yeah. of engage in what's going on? Do you go to many gigs that are not your own? No. I, well, I sort of, I I can't go to many gigs that aren't mine just because of being on you know gigging all the time. It's quite hard to then say. And now, sweetheart, I'm going out to see Delos Um 
but through doing the music, I end up seeing a really broad range of bands that I would never have seen in a million years. So I end up falling in love with bands that, you know, if someone had played me a little bit of, I wouldn't have given the time of day. So that's really nice. Um, and in terms of new music, I consume it constantly and voraciously. Like just, I don't really listen to um, sort of many sort of podcasts or other radio programs or audio books. It's just constant music. And, you know, there's a lot of soul and funk, um, but mostly it's hip hop. I just and where are you finding that? Tuned where, into where do you where do you get that? So every sort of six months, I have a week pretty much where I just hunt it out and seek it out. And it is that thing that in, inevitably, as hip hop grows and grows, and there are bazillions of people doing it, and loads of it is none of my business anymore. And I do sometimes listen to some of the young people's music and try and like it, and then go, "This is just none of my concern." It's you know, great, well done for doing it, but it's yeah. none of my business. Um, but there's always the amount of people that I, every year I discover people that are making the sort of stuff that we like, um, that just you know, in an, in their own little world. Like for example, there's a producer I've discovered recently called Batsaw. Right. I don't know anybody else who's, who's found him. He's incredible. He's done loads of instrumental albums and sample ones. He's worked with brilliant rappers like Dylan and Willie Evans Jr. and stuff that no one's ever heard of as well. Um, so, yeah, there's loads of good new people out there all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you here? Who are you? What are you doing Sorry, in my Paul, garden? Alex. Hello, Alex. Hello, buddy. Uh, <laughs> You've come to the right place, my friend. I was going off on a bit of a tangent anyway. It was a, it was a mercy because I was just starting to talk about people no one had heard of. So actually, it's fine if I get. If you end up cutting that a bit, that's no problem. Um, well, we sort of think we got what, to what that, that, didn't we? Yeah, we sort of got to me. I just consume music in a great big part. That was about it, really. And. Um, so as the what I do like to do is try and get some advice for any younger listeners who might be wanting to set out on a path in music or might have some music that they want to put out and not quite sure how to do it or whatever what advice have you got for someone not necessarily follow your path no don't do that unusual number path. one don't follow my path that's that's the first thing you should do um, I th- there's loads there's loads of different aspects I think um, collaboration is the key to getting better at things all of the, all of my little projects and things I wanted to do and creative ideas never really came to fruition until I found people more talented than me who could teach me how to do it properly and that goes from everyone from the, um, DJ Nick Maxwell to John Clark teaching me to rap to Tom teaching you know all the production side of things so yeah lots of collaborations don't be afraid to just stick stuff out don't spend ages working and reworking I think particularly in this day and age putting stuff out and putting stuff on SoundCloud and getting opinions back and as my favourite person Neil Gaiman often says you know whenever you put something that is yours on the internet whether it's a drawing or a piece of music or a story someone's not going to like it if you get if you get as many as 10 people liking it someone's going to hit that dislike button and you do have to develop a bit of a thick skin it's very hard and you're always going to be affected by people saying oh that's rubbish but you mustn't stop doing what you're doing just because someone else doesn't like it Um, that's absolutely key to the whole thing Um, and just just keep putting it out there and then if you get to the stage where you're happy with your music and you do want to take it to the next level you do have there's no two ways about it all interest 
interesting, wacky, fun things are underpinned with loads of really serious, boring admin. And there's no way around that. I've, you know, on the face of things, if you looked on my Instagram, I've had a wacky, crazy year. I've been in American cowboy towns and just visited really odd places and done gigs in the strange things and hung out with circuses at Glastonbury. But outside of that every day I was in an office hustling and putting things on social media and answering emails and getting me invoices straight and all of this tedious stuff which I don't mind I quite like doing it but you have to get those skills together in this day and age if you're going to do it all by yourself Um, and I suppose the final thing to say is that you might need to do it all by yourself if I'm anything to go by just assume that you're going to assume that you can you know you're working on making it without the help of any kind of financial backing or label because all the labels are dead anyway so you might as well just make it in your own way Um, and I suppose finally finally just be happy when you get your niche if you manage to find some listeners and and people actually want you to come out and play gigs be really happy with that because that is sometimes as good as it gets and that's sometimes all you need okay that's nice wasn't it thanks for having us so there we are, an hour in the company of Paul Albra, also known as Professor Elemental. So I hope you enjoyed that. Certainly uh, a fun chance for me to sit down with a friend of mine that I don't see enough and talk about some of the stuff that you kind of never get to talk about when you are just like hanging out with your families and you're at festivals and just talking bollocks most of the time basically so we're sort of coming to the end of season two of the current state of music podcast we've got one more being broadcast next weekend with the singer and songwriter Ian Archer. Um, as yet, we haven't actually recorded it, but we've been hanging out quite a lot recently, so I'm looking forward to actually sitting down and structuring a conversation with him. And I imagine it'll be pretty interesting. He's an interesting guy who's worked with a ton of people. People like the Kaiser Chiefs, James Bay, Snow Patrol... And many, many more. And so it'll be kind of cool to find out more about his processes, how he works with artists, how he makes them feel comfortable to kind of open up and express themselves. So, uh, yeah, I think there'll be loads to go out in that episode. So that'll be next Saturday morning with me chatting with Ian Archer. Until then, if you are enjoying these podcasts, if you could zip on over to iTunes leave a review and then uh, subscribe and like and share as well it's very much appreciated we're sort of live starting to line up guests for season three a couple of people that we haven't managed to lock down for this season which is a shame but they've said that they're up for it so I guess it's just working out the timings if you've got anyone that you think that would be good to talk to then uh, do send me your ideas and yeah we'll be back next Saturday with the last one in this series and then we'll be going into full production mode to try and get some more in the bag for later on in the year so until now there's still a fair bit left on this mix that I recreated for 
the professor's bed, as it were. So, uh, if you want to know more about his work, then stay tuned until this mix finishes. But for me, for now, I'm going to wish you a very safe evening as we leave the EU. Solidarity with our European cousins is desperately needed, I think. Take care. Peace. Regain our composure Turn off your phone Take a moment alone Let your mind go blank Forget what you know Take time off Wander around Tidy your home Stop in the lounge Go for a stroll In the back or beyond Early in the morn Doesn't have to be long Capture a song Sketch out a tale You need a clear sky Before you set sail Ignore the whisper That tells you to fail And the doubts That loom as heavy as whales Here's a secret I learned on tour Successful people Feel like fraud Like they'll be found out One knock on the door Sorry sir It's all over You've been caught So don't worry You're so lovely If it doesn't bother you Then it won't trouble me Just make a good start Forget about the outcome Make good art Hold up I want to make the argument that taking this assertion that incorrect worth is a recipe for this to be misunderstood. Let's address the question, what's actually good? Of course, perspective on the answer is yours. You visualize the finish line when you're on the course, but everybody sees it with a different color ribbon. It's your race to run, so it's really your decision. And this is where we get the pressure that's undue. Your hero has a hero, and his image is untrue. Don't ever try to be him. Just remember, he taught you. If she was in the room, she would probably applaud you. And if she didn't, would you really want to stop? And if he didn't like it, would you drop it on the walk? I think not, and in fact, I think you should find out what's good to you and just do that. Because guess what my friends say? to me and guess what i get from my family and guess what i do anyway gee i'm a weirdo and no one can take that from me art's my life gotta make my mark and start things right gotta make that art and make it good see my outlook is the way it should be art's my life gotta make that mark and start things right gotta make that art and make it good see my outlook is the way it should be Art is a muscle, it's hard when I flex it The pressure, I guess, is just part of the hustle You murder yourself with a lot and applause And you feel like a god, then it's gone Cause you're not, it's a puzzle Subtle and soft, and the trouble is off And it's not, it's not popping your bubble You gotta suffer for it, sport, unsupported It's sleeping in them when you sing for your supper Sorry, wanna fly to the moon But you shoot for the stars, you might die there marooned In your hot air balloon that your friends fill shouting promises Drowning out doubting Thomases What's wrong with just feeling deeply insecure? Who told you that art should be a sinecure? The urge is insubordinate, stubborn and Jesus knows it's not Like you just push a button and genius flows It's hard work Merchandising a world tour when you're a shop clerk serving spines at the Pearl Store. It's not money for nothing like the song said, but make it good and they'll get it when you're long dead.
something there. Got a brand new dress of fresh underwear. You should never ever be left unaware. That you're hard to beat. Got a lovely smile. That makes me want to be worth your while. I asked around, did a quick survey. You came in first from Friday to Thursday. For skiving a work day, you're the best company. Every day's your birthday. You deserve luxury. Cock of the walk, top of the tree. You totally rock, you've got what you need. Whatever you're doing is getting done today. Whether it's thunder or a sunny day. And whatever came before is not a factor. Anything in the future doesn't matter. Because you... To chat you up, just back you up, make sure you're standing up. To give you a hand, to grab as it's tough, to stand or the hand you have some love. Have I said too much? Well, I doubt it. Looking for a mountain so I can shout it. When it comes to the fun, I'm done waiting. Invite everyone to the celebration. There's free cake and there's no one hating. For heaven's sake, we just love your cadence. You're the bullfrog's beard, the elephant's adenoid, the hummingbird's ear, the sardine's whisker, the dog's best work, you're the hen's front teeth, you're the butterfly's book, you're a tuppany, a pippin, the very thing, on a mission to tell you you're everything, you're non-sensational, I'm in your corner, I'll take them all, if it's other against the world, that's fine with me, until everyone takes time to see that you, you are really The other day, a friend of mine, true, yes, a friend of mine who, um, oddly enough, is oh, quite an admirer friend. of yours. Yes, this man, oddly enough, is quite an admirer of yours. Oh, anyway, he he asked me. Um, nice. uh, he to hear that. Said he suspected that uh, that you were a widely traveled man, and uh, I didn't know. Tequila with a man named Wolf Locked in a loo and escaped on the roof Never seen a party that I couldn't rock Proof Wedding in a glass bottom boat True Surrounded by sharks being Brooklyn to Ipswich You haven't hit your town then it's next on my hit list If you have a ticket come fly with me Boarding my flight and I'm finally free More sights to see, more lives to lead And I always arrive in time for my tea Came a long way, where to next? Off to your town and I'm never gonna rest It gets a little hectic I must confess Gotta go, gotta dash, gotta run, gotta step Came a long way, where will you go? Wherever they'll have me 
on with the show. I love this life and I must confess. Gotta go, gotta dash, gotta run, gotta step. and roast me on the internet like how does elemental cope with a bigger head I live in a travel lodge that's not healthy so many shows why aren't I wealthy because of extracurricular activities seem to swig a pint every time I spit a little free another fuzzy head of regret no silly me the motorway head stretches on to infinity heavy wear the helmet lines on my face sun shows from hell with a smile on my face the price of adventure is expensive you couldn't buy this life but you might like to rent it if there wasn't steampunk I'd have to invent it so many friends not easily offended but until you've been impressed at two on a Saturday and heard oi give us your out then Jumanji. Or rock to corporate function where they hate what you do. Or play to a crowd of two. One mate from your crew and an angry promoter. Trials on tour, but I'll ride till it's over. Ride worldwide, never reaching my bed. My life is a tour and I'll sleep when I'm dead. And even then I'll do shows on the other side. So come and get your ticket, let's ride. We hope you enjoy, learn, and have the silliest time possible. Please welcome your headmaster. Welcome, everybody, to the very first semester that's intended to suggest a few ideas and intersect across section a selection of my peers, and here's the rest of the wonderful collection of the elemental lectures. It's the grand opening. Stand close and bring the whole family and sandwiches. And don't forget to sing the school anthem. You know, everybody's weird, but this is our place, so everybody cheer. Bring ideas and inventions, survival tactics. By the time you've arrived, I'll append a classic. I want you to be happy. I'll be bending backwards. Bring you the best rap. Not to mention ad-libs. With Nick on the cuts, on the ones and twos. You know we only do stuff if it's fun to do. So whatever else you're doing, well, you're listening, and we can face it all together. If you're sitting here with me It's a little bit different from what's gone before But familiar enough so you're reassured If the real world's poorly we've got the cure If we're hearing this recorded or on my tour This is all that you need, this is awesome Sure, Tom's got what you need if you want some more This is the original beginning of the thing We like to call Professor Elemental School of Whimsy Time to waste, come on, quick! Get up, you lazy sods! We've got stuff to do! Up and stretch, get up out your bed, get the fluff out your hair, get up to get dressed. This is your alarm call, a call to arms of all departments, of all compartments, can't stall, it's all starting. Don't beg pardons, get set starving, don't let your eggs pardon. Get her while the yoke's still running, tell her while the joke's still funny, have a sun so run and go get the money or go create. Yes. There's nothing like art and even feeling great. Oh. The late night's leaving you reeling, shiver. Shake yourself down like a dog at a river, have a shower, freshen up, then stand and deliver. Put the kettle on and smoke me a kipper. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. 
breakfast of cake or a wake and bake. A yoga in a toga or a measured meditate. This is the wake up, it's the first cuppa. Cuddle from your kids or a kiss from your lover. There is no other way to face it. Grab your day, face up, embrace it. I created this especially for you to be as bracing as waking up naked in a zoo. Yes. This morning is quite surprising. Here's a pair of speedos, come on, dive in. Isn't it a pity that your days are so limited? Life's too diminutive to spend them surviving. Several other songs designed for a lion, but this is full of lines to find a silver lining. The outlook for today. When it couldn't be nicer, you look just fabulous. Go get them, tiger. Oh. <laughs> Good morning. That does not sound like a tiger. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> Check this out, right? I go rawr, rawr, like a dungeon dragon Get on your own boat, get off the bandwagon Sail the horizon into parts unknown I want a life like an episode of Twilight Zone Or maybe more Muppets, call me Kermit It's not easy being green But I'm sure it's worth it, I want the unexpected Ready to jump out, adventure everywhere Some way, somehow, sometimes someone needs to take you by surprise ha! Wake you up early to see the sunrise yes! A psychedelic breakfast sounds quite nice mm. There's not much room with all these fun guys Pardon the pun, beg pardon, I've come For a scrummy little muffin and a very large rum Nick on the cuts, Tom on the balls Do we need is you, so here's your applause. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs>